and thank you for downloading this episode of Skin Tings. You may have heard my radio show on Absolute Radio where I recently launched a series called The Blackness of Rock. This is an episode of that fit for podcasting purpose. I hope you enjoy. I'd like to introduce you to a project I'm very excited about, a documentary called The Blackness of Rock where we discuss each week how music that was so perceived and the roots of it started off with black people and black culture, how it ended up in, by the time I got signed in my record deal with Skunk in 1994, how it was perceived at that point that I was doing music that was perceived as being white. This is The Blackness of Rock. I thought the perfect place to start off this deep dive into the blackness of rock was to have a conversation with Jordana Elizabeth, who's an American journalist and critic. Uh, She's written extensively about race and music in recent years. Jordana, it's um, for myself as an artist, it's always been a a weird thing to me that I've I've been perceived as doing white music. when I'm putting together this thing, I put together kind of like a family tree. And what comes up again and again is how black rock music is. I mean, it all kind of started with Sister Rosetta Tharp, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So rock and roll is black music. It derived from blues. It derived from the music, the guitar music that came from the South on the plantations, Lightning Hopkins, Muddy Waters, and kind of all of those things, and particularly Sister Rosetta Tharp. Did you ever watch that YouTube video of a performance that they did in England? Yes, in Manchester, in Manchester, 1964. I remember when being young and watching that video, really saying, this is the reason the British explosion. Exactly. This was the first time that kids were exposed and how beautiful is it it, that it was sister Rosetta Tharp a matriarch an elder and just like a a gospel you know artist to kick off that form of music I mean as you're talking just for the audience sister Rosetta Tharp was probably the first rock and roll star because she's a singer from the 1930s, 1940s. And she was a guitarist, which was really quite unusual, but she was the one that kind of turned the guitar up. So you got that kind of um, fuzz that started to happen, Mm -hmm. that grind that started to happen. And so she inspired people like Chuck Berry, Little Richard. You talked about the Manchester performance, which was on a disused train station on the platform and it rained nonstop. And it was with Muddy Waters. Um, Mm -hmm. The Beatles saw that, the Rolling Stones saw that, Mm -hmm. all of those guys that were kids at the time that's when the explosion started and for me it's interesting because we really did in terms of black people we really did start off the ball running I think radio was a big part in segregating music and saying this is classic rock this is hip-hop yeah this is black putting everything into little nice little boxes Sure. And then, you know, the record label saying this is urban music and this is rock and indie rock and kind of all of these things having to have these decisive differentiations on music. But it was classified by race. So, you know, there's this long history, but, you know, we have to be very clear 
that all of these differentiations were based on race and sometimes gender. And so for you, when you were growing up, and what were the bands, what were the music that you were into? I've always been into rock and roll, always been into different music, and I grew up with that stuff. Again, my mom was kind of into rock and roll music, and my dad would listen to the country channels and, and gospel channels and stuff like that. But as a little girl, I was always looking for people who looked like me you know, in those cultures. So I found out about Ari Up and the Slits and I found out about, you know, polystyrene and, you know, also in the culture in America, the Afropunk scene. Um, I was like on the late edge of Riot Girl scene and there it was not really a Black thing, yeah. community. You know. I mean, but when I was starting off Skankanensi, I was a real oddity, you know, mm. in the scene that I was in, you know, little King's Cross scene, I was... It was normal, you know, because I was a really good singer and I was just seen as a good singer. I wasn't seen as a black woman or a black mm. gay woman or any of that. But I remember the minute we started to do, to do gigs outside of our little bubble, I realized that, wow, we're really different. People mm. think that we're really different and they are behaving towards us like they've never seen us before. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, they had, they just hadn't equated it. Why do you think? we got ourselves into a situation where that happened, you know, where I was this oddity. I still ask myself that every single day. Um, And I was a touring musician for 13 years. I would go to clubs and, you know, I would have, you know, white male band members, you know, they'd look at them and then they'd look at me and be like, are you in the band? And the band (laughs) would be Jordana Elizabeth. It's like, well, who else is, you know, who else is it then? If it's not me, who is it, you know? Um, (laughs) And I guess you and I will probably be pondering that for the rest of a long our time. lives. I mean, I, I definitely feel that generally people like to feel familiar and comfortable with certain things. So mm-hmm. if it's a rock band they're going to see and for white guys walk onto the stage and that immediately kind of everyone's okay, everyone's relaxed. It's just about how good they are. But I feel from my point of view, walking on stage, I was judged differently from the minute I walk on, walk on stage. Yeah. It's kind of like, oh, this makes me feel comfortable. I'm not used to this. This isn't mm-hmm. normal. This isn't what a rock band's supposed to look like. And then it's yeah. kind of a, a thing of like, okay, I can feel it because I'm on stage and I'm very attuned to my audience. So I can right. feel it. That means that I have to be five or six times better and I'm going to have to win them over, you know? Right. And I think that that's the difference between Escancanancy and Oasis yeah. or whatever. It's like Oasis or Blur, their starting point of winning people over is like here, but mine's all yeah. the way back here. So I've just got a lot further to go. And I think that's just because the face of, of rock music has changed, you know, yeah. black people started, but now it's perceived as, as a white thing. With so many questions surrounding rock and roll and race, I took these to my friend and musician, Gail Ann Dorsey, who formerly played bass with David Barry for years and has worked with everyone from Tears to Fears to currently Levy Kravitz, The National, as well as having a very successful solo career. And I have to say, you have been one of the kind of archetypical people that I've been dying to talk to since, since I very thought about this documentary because one of the first records I ever bought was Wasted Country in Corporate World. Oh, my goodness. I remember sitting in a record shop, seeing the cover and thinking, 
that's interesting. That's different. And I absolutely fell in love with it. Remember? Where yeah, is yeah. That's yeah. Oh, yeah, I remember. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to talk about your early life because I know you first started playing guitar, you know, and then yeah. you moved to bass much later on. Why didn't you go into the kind of well-traveled road of R&B music and, and go in that direction? Because I, I never felt like, why would there be a limit to, to what I would do or what I would like to listen to? And, and I mean, even but even as a kid growing up in West Philadelphia, you know, in a black neighborhood, I listened to everything. My older siblings, because I'm the youngest of five, they had like this really expansive record collection. It had Jimi Hendrix in it, but then it had Rufus and Shaka Khan. It had some R&B, had The Temptations, but then it had Rare Earth, you know, like these sort of rock bands that were kind of soul-based. So yeah. it was like, the, so everything was kind of a, a little bit more open than it became. I think genres got really tighter and more kind of, especially with mm. black music. It got like this urban this and this hip hop and this rap. It's like it got these, it got really sort of into these microcosms of genre. So when I decided I was going to play music or wanted to play music, I didn't realize that once I grew up and got into the world that there would be these compartments that I would have to fit in. To me, it was just like this great playground of music. And I resisted that and I still resist it. When did you move to the UK? Because I remember seeing you on the tube. 1983. Why did you move to the UK? Was it a musical decision or...? It was. And it was for those reasons we were just discussing is that I had dropped out of film school and I was in New York City at the time and I had written some songs and I had demos and I was trying to get a record deal like most people were doing at that time. Yeah. But, you know, my music was not black enough. Like no one could understand where they were going to fit me. If, if, if I went to a record, they were like, well, where does this go on the, on the shelf? And then London immediately was like this place where those boundaries that I was coming up against didn't exist in terms of music. Either they liked the song or they didn't like the song. They weren't thinking, is it rock? Is it R&B? Is it, you know, what, what is this? It's not that they're crossing a boundary or they're not fulfilling a, an image that people expect because of the way they look, you know? I mean, I guess you would before your time, really. In terms of like perceptions, yeah. I think I was. And then after I had some success in the UK with with Wasted Country, the Corporate World album, and then, you know, going around to Warner Brothers in the US to promote the record, you know, they they kept sending me to the R&B department. And then, then they would kind of look at me strange and go, well, it's, you know, we really like your record, but it's not really R&B. You know, like I came back to face yeah. the same, like, duh face of like, we don't know what to do with you. So I just thought, well, I'll go back to the, <laughs> I'll go back You know, I, we had the same experience as Kankanetsu. You know, we already sold sure. millions of records in the UK. And we, you know, went to America. We had all these record companies trying to sign us. And it was the same thing. They kept saying, oh, let me introduce you to the head of our urban department. And we were like, exactly. Well, why? Exactly. Have you listened to the record? Do you know what? Like, you signed a rock band. <laughs> exactly. You signed a rock band. And, and, and that was like a constant problem. I'm going to ask one David about a question, because one of the things I remember precisely about him was that time on MTV when he was grilling Mark Coleman about why aren't there more black artists on MTV? It, it occurred to me, having watched MTV over the last few months, it's a solid enterprise with it and it's got a lot going for it. I'm just floored by the fact that there's so few black artists featured on it. Why is that? I think that we're trying to move in that direction. We want to play artists that 
seem to be doing music that fits into what we want to play for MTV. And this guy was coming up a whole load of different reasons, a whole load of different reasons why. And now you look back at it and you think, God, he was so far ahead of his time in this. Absolutely. Um, It's evident in the fact that the only few black artists that one does see are on about 2.30 in the morning or or to around 6. Very few are featured predominantly during the day. No. Uh, that's a, I'll say that over the last couple of weeks. The you know what I mean? The way that he promoted black mm-hmm. artists and talked about black artists. For, and for a lot of his career, you know, I think, especially since from young Americans on, which when he when Luther was involved and Robin and also Tina Turner, he was, mm-hmm. he was instrumental in reviving her career along with Mick Jagger and all those other kind of, you know, a lot of the British rockers. And, but um, yeah, he was, he was always ahead of his time. <laughs> he was yeah. always... <laughs> it really was. Yeah, exactly. Was always, you know, yeah. especially now you look back at all, you find those kind of things, those interviews and those moments, and you're like, wow, you know, at the t- they, they still have like yeah. such very deep meaning pointing to where we are today. Not sure you know, it's amazing. But there's a, there seem to be a lot of black artists making very good videos that I'm surprised aren't used on MTV. Well, of course, also we have to try and do what we think not only New York and Los Angeles will appreciate, but also. Uh, Poughkeepsie or Midwest, pick some town in the Midwest that will be scared to death by Prince, which we're playing, or a string of other black faces. That's and black very music. interesting. Isn't that interesting? One of the things as black woman that struck me was that in the very early days, the most important thing I did was learn how to how studio works. Because Absolutely. I remember when we were doing a single and I was like, can you put some reverb on that guitar there? And the guy turned his chair and looked at me and said, mm, can't really do that. And I was like, why not? And he said, oh, it's, it's, too, it's too complicated to explain. Oh, and I was like, yeah, explain right. it, please. <laughs> exactly. You know, because I think as a black woman, you know, I think there's you got the double whammy of like being female. And so, you yeah. know, engineers thinking that you don't know how anything works and what mm-hmm. to do. And at the same time, you know, being black and they think, well, then, then they doubly don't know what to do. Well, yeah. And also just as a musician, as a bass player, as a guitar player, going into to a shop to, to try out a guitar and they sort of look, you know, and they give you the guitar like, oh, well, you know, she's not going yeah, to know if what I have to, to. The guitar, <laughs> you know. Yeah, oh my God. Yeah, you know, it's like you just get this sort of put down. Yeah, so, exactly. But, but yeah, it's nice to be able to prove them wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I think I also have to credit you. I think subconsciously you're probably the reason why I shaved my head. Possibly. And, yeah. Grace, and Grace Jones was the reason I began to shave my head. She was the first black yeah. female artist that I saw that I was that really said to me, I can do anything I want. I should be able to do anything because this yeah. she really to me broke the mold. <laughs> um, but also just having as a teenager before I even went to university, I saw you and having that image of like, well, there's a black woman and you had the glasses. And I remember there was type was like a financial type, something behind it. Mm-hmm. And I think I have to really um, thank you for that inspiration because uh-huh. it was a different image I saw of a black woman. And it was one of those sparks for me of like, you know, I don't have to look like everybody else. I don't exactly. have to do everything like everybody else. Um, and I think you, for me, were one of those artists that visually and then when I heard the record and it wasn't a typical music that you you know that we were kind of being pushed into you know mm-hmm. um it was a really wonderful thing and I think that that's really important for us we do spark these things in other people 
you know, and, and, and push, you know, little black girls from Brixton or from That's Clapham right. or from downtown Brooklyn or Harlem right. to That's do right. to do other things, you know. That's Otherwise, right. you know, this genre of rock music and this genre of Indian, whatever, it will stay away from us if we don't get more people back I into agree. it. Kind of turn I, it back. Yeah, and also the people who are in charge of putting the music out into the world or whatever. It, also, the more that they see diversity coming to them, new people coming that aren't fitting into them all, the more it, it expands their mind too. And this is exactly the thing I want to get to the bottom of over the next few weeks. It's not been an easy question to answer, but stay tuned over the coming weeks and I'll be discussing it with some friends and some people I admire from the industry. We'll look into the past and play tribute to those that formed this genre. And we'll look forward to those leading as resurgence and address everything in between as together we'll put together the pieces of the puzzle to discover more about the blackness of rock. Mm -hmm.